Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the first Zoom book club for Reading the Room. Um, I am today joined by Torin and Jason as my co-hosts. It was originally going to be a live stream, but I'm switching things up a little bit. So thank you for being amenable to that. So Torin, Jason, thank you so much. And everyone else who's joining today, thank you for being here. I cannot wait to talk about The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. I've been quite frankly losing my mind over this book since I read it. I loved it so much. Um, I'm in my like thriller era, I think, but <laughs> so I guess just to get into the book, Torin and Jason, do you want to give your thoughts first and then we'll open it up to the group? Torin, I'll just throw you in. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I've read this twice now. Um, I read the advanced like digital copy like right at the end of December and it like completely consumed everything like in my life at that moment. There's only been like two books in like recent years that have made me want to stay up all night reading and the shards is one of them the other one is animal by lisa tadeo which i feel like both of the, these books have some like parallels and so yeah i i love it it's everything that i wanted it to be and it's um not what i was expecting from brett easton ellis just based on his um reputation and like persona and i feel like he addresses all of that in this book so I love it. One of my all-time favorites, like forever, probably. Uh, love that. For me, I love Brett Easton Ellis. The Rules of Attraction is one of my favorites, uh, book and movie. Um, well, more so the movie than the book, to be honest. But um, going into this, I didn't know how gay it was going to be. <laughs> and I was very thrilled, very happy about that. Um, but I guess like with the characters, I felt a lot of like similarities between me and myself growing up in high school. Like what they mentioned, like smoking Dejarum clove cigarettes and just driving around listening to music um, and just those fraught relationships between, you know, the gay guy having uh, feelings for the straight best friend like that. It was so on the nose for me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just saw a lot of myself in the character of Brett, which I absolutely love. Brilliant, brilliant book. I loved it. I need more. Yeah, it's quite a lengthy book. And I was kind of surprised by how engaged I was the entire time reading it. I finished this book a couple weeks ago. So I'm a little bit foggy on some details. But before I get into kind of where I want to start this discussion, I want to open up to everyone and to see if anyone wants to add their general thoughts on the book before we dive into the meat of it. I'll just quickly add, I thought it was really, Jason, you mentioned like the whole, it really just taps into that feeling of like a young gay, gay male, let's say just for the purposes of that, that novel, but it really captured that high school dynamic of an era, you know, of before like acceptance was like really widespread and like being out as a teenager was much more widespread. Um, yeah, I really love that aspect of it. I love the thriller just sprinkle it on top for an extra layer of chaos and mayhem. And yeah, I've only read one other book by him, but it was a long time ago. So this was like a nice kind of coming home to this relatively depraved writer and book, but it was really fun. <laughs> I guess I'll add my two cents. Um, I decided to um, read the book. I was going to give it like 50 pages because I had heard a little bit about it. I'd seen the movie American Psycho, um, but I've never read anything by him. So I really didn't know what to expect. I'm like, I'll give it 50 pages. 
And I was just like sucked in immediately. And yeah, you see, you think 600 pages, it's going to take me forever to read it. It really didn't take me that long. Cause like you said, I kept wanting to go back to it. I love the setting of Los Angeles. I really felt like I was there driving all those roads and getting around and then different neighborhoods. It was really neat. And, um, but I, and I also liked, sometimes I don't always appreciate all of the retro references, like all the songs and the movies, but I think it really, it helped with the setting of where you were and when you were. It was almost too much, but it was, it was, that, that was the point. It was supposed to be like so much. You were just drowning in this experience of the, of the time period and the location. And like I said, I had never read any of his books before. And what I ended up doing after reading The Shards is that I did go read Less Than Zero. And I really liked that experience of like... <laughs> so I really liked that experience of reading this, The Shards, which is 600 pages. And it was really complicated. There were lots of characters. There was lots going on. And then I don't know if you've read Less Than Zero, but it's like the opposite. It's very sparse it's much more of a vibe, there's no plot. And it, it, it kind of gave me that feeling of, you know, when you read a book and you love the book, and you love the characters, you know what's going on. And then you go and see the movie and it's still the same kind of thing, but there's so much missing. And like, you, you know so much more having read the book. It kind of had that feeling of like, oh, I know that character. Oh, she's such a Deborah. I know who that is. You know, it's kind of like, like that experience. So I, I really enjoyed it I, way more than I thought I would knowing like what I had, I knew about the book prior to it. So I, I enjoyed it. I love that. Yeah. So Lesson Zero was the only other Brett Easton Ellis book that I've read. I saw American Psycho the movie, but I was kind of new to his work generally and seeing like the stark, in my opinion, contrast between Lesson Zero and this book, which feels so like emotional and just a different tonally. But then also in this book, when Brett he's actively writing that book while he's, I don't know, experiencing everything in this plot. It was interesting seeing how he's consciously thinking about the numbness that he's trying to portray in that novel it was really fun to see how Brett is like intentionally invoking different styles in each book, which I guess we'll get into in a bit as well. But Alex and Paige, do you want to add anything before I dive into the meat? I mean, I can add something. Um, this is my first like Brett Easton Ellis book ever. So I'm very new to this. And I loved it. Um, yes, it was very long, 600 pages, but it didn't feel like that. Like there was, I was like away while I was reading it and I would like stay in the hotel bathroom at night, like not to wake like my family up, just to like keep reading it. It was so, so good. And I just felt like so immersed in that, in that atmosphere. And like, especially like, I love it when authors will like use music or that kind of stuff to like relate to the story so like I got like a playlist of like all the music that he mentioned which I listened to it was so great and I thought that was such like a really like I don't know I just think that's such a like key specific thing that like just like adds to the atmosphere I also just love the messiness of it like I love like those messy relationships like that messy high school you know I I really really liked it and I had like no idea what to expect but I definitely want to read more of his work because I thoroughly enjoyed this read. So, yeah. I would say I echo pretty much what everyone else has said um, on the basis of, I feel like for me, maybe uh, first, whenever I read Lesson Zero, whenever I was 21, 
uh, which is about seven or eight years ago now, I was a Brett Easton Ellis non-believer. So I didn't really like it, but I feel like reading the shards has really helped me with the lore of Brett Easton Ellis, if that makes sense. I really agree with everyone in the sense of time and place that this book really helped me sink into that I really like, especially since we know about the kind of meta sense of this book being Brett, the character versus Brett, the writer, and how much there's this tug of war between the past and then also Brett, the character yearning for the future and what that means. I also really liked how a bunch of characters seem to fit their archetypes. So Brett, the character really loving things like movies. Uh, Terry, who I'm sure we all have thoughts about, uh, to me being quite like the villain archetype in his own way, uh, whether literally being kind of like slimy, but also a bunch of this book uh, being interesting to me, feeling like uh, it's really Brett's quest toward him unbeknownst to him, like his present self writing this book, how he's really only now challenging his sexuality he had in the past. Uh, even though he's very vocal about sex, we all know it. Uh, you know, there are some clear scenes burned in my brain uh, that are very vivid, I'll say, uh, just to, you know, encompass it that way. But yeah, I liked this book. I don't know if it completely sold me in some areas that I'm sure we'll get to within our discussion, but overall, I think it worked for me. Okay, I love when the group loves the book, you know, I think it'll be a fun discussion. So um, that goes perfectly into my first like intro here. This is a little bit lengthy, maybe, but I just wanted to start by talking about the introduction to the proof copy that I have, which isn't included in the final edition, I guess, but he gives a letter to readers about what he was trying to do with the shards. And it's a little lengthy, but I have a couple of pieces here that I think really speak to like upon reflection what he's doing in this book. So one idea that he has is, this is a quote, so the idea that writers, if they weren't careful and watchful and mindful, could let their imaginations reorder and distort the world they actually lived in. And so he ties that to his youth and his loss of innocence here in this book. And he later says, I imagined a relationship with a boy who was something other than it was. I had a girlfriend and I made it seem real between us when it wasn't. A friendship wasn't as deep as I had fantasized about. The drama I imagined about other people's lives sometimes became gossip and influenced other students who believed what I imagined or hoped or desired or wanted to believe was real. There were two incidents where everything really fell apart because I wanted to believe something was real when in fact it wasn't. And this was the dark side of being a writer. I lost two friends. Anyway, that was the impetus for the shards. And just to stop there, heavily relate. Like in high school, I feel like I was constantly making stories about guys that I would like wanted, you know, you know, and like thinking like, well, maybe he likes me or maybe he doesn't. Or like, what if I do this? Like, will he then, I don't know, like me or like, I don't know. I feel like just like the queer longing of this, of it all was very prevalent in him thinking through these questions, but then to use this novel to then make it like, I don't know. I keep thinking about like fear street books, like RL Stein and like the joy of reading just like the wild or thinking of like a wild story to sort of exacerbate those ideas. I feel like he's doing that really well here. And then the last thing that he mentioned is the other track that I was following, the abundance of serial killers in California during the 70s and into the 80s. The idea that a serial killer or killers, they sometimes worked in groups, also created a story, a narrative. And consciously or not, it struck a chord with me. In some awful way, I saw the killers as writers as well, and the two notions fused. So I guess that goes to my question for you all about the autofiction of it all and using this idea of these very sort of like seemingly trivial 
notions of, you know, wanting a guy in high school or having a girlfriend who you don't really like in high school and then making it this, quite frankly, fucking wild story about a guy that comes to town who may or may not be a serial killer, the horror and gore of the story. Like, I'm just wondering what you think about the framing of Brett as an adult writing the story and finally landing on this narrative and his unreliability to explore these ideas. It's a huge question, but I'm basically asking, what do you think about Brett placing himself in this book and what he's doing with all of that? Well, Brett has already placed himself in a few other of his novels, like uh, The Imperial Bedroom, I think, and uh, Lunar Park, I believe, where it's like, is it real? Is it not real? Um, but in this book in particular, like he's writing from when he was a younger kid, um, but now as a 50 something year old man, I think he's able to uh, piece together those feelings that he was having back then, able to articulate them now as he's a seasoned writer. Um, he can write a whole lot more uh, about his experience in a way maybe 18, 17 year old Brett wasn't able to. Um, yeah, just some thought. Yeah, um, I, I really liked the confusion of like how much of this is real, like how much of this is just like completely fiction. And um, I really, like I saw um, part of an interview with him and he was saying, that and he also mentions that like in the book that he has tried to write this like so many times but is like completely unable to um and i'm glad that it kind of happened once he was much older could actually evaluate things with like a clear like a more clear view and he was saying that he just didn't have the talent to pull off this book when he was like 19 and then like in his 20s when he was like trying to write this. And there's some quote somewhere where he's talking about, um, I think Tom or any of the other boys that he's kind of in love with. Um, and he says something like, I wish that all of this could have like turned out all right, but it was 1981 and that was never gonna happen for us. And yeah, I just, that would have been like a harder time to be, um, grappling with your sexuality and I like that he is older now and completely confident in all of that and can write much more clearly about that experience. Yeah I was just going to add that I really I love that device of like the beginning of a book where an author is like, oh, I'm gonna tell you the story that happened to me a long time ago and it may or may not be true. Like, I think some people might find it a bit of a gimmick, but I, I'm i a sucker for that <laughs> almost every time. So for me, that was like, kind of like you guys were saying about how you, oh, I'm gonna try 50 pages of this book. And then you kind of get that introduction from Brett and then it dives back into like the eighties. And I was just hook, line and sinker. I'm thinking of like, yeah, I mean, you mentioned autofiction, Jalen. Like, I mean, this is like going to be a weird comparison, maybe, but like thinking about Ferrante and the Neapolitan novels, like she frames the beginning of the first book as it's set in like more present. And then it goes all the way back to childhood and it goes, you know, it catches up with that. And then, you know, there are so many instances where people who aren't even really writing about themselves fictitiously, but inserting themselves in the narrative, like Rachel Cuss does in her fiction. Um, 
even Bologna does with like variations of like himself or naming characters similarly to himself if anyone else has read like Roberto Bologna. Um, so it's a really fun tradition that I'm just excited that we can dive into that a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, that's an interesting comparison to Ferrante. I actually, before we started recording, I wanted I wanted to maybe do my brilliant my brilliant friend for a book club moment, but I know many people have read it, but I'm also like, if it's the first one and people have already read the whole series, would that be bad? I don't know. That's just an idea I have, but I need to read that book. I guess I'm saying all that for that. But um, I wanted to start also with the opening here and how he's reflecting on writing this novel and he ends up seeing what we later discover for anyone watching, by the way, this is full spoilers. Like we're getting into all the tea in this book. So sorry. Um, but he sees Susan, which we realized at the end of the novel. Um, so what did you all make about that revelation? And I guess it's going to the end with some of the reveals about whether he did or did not attack Susan and Tom and all of that. What did you make of him seeing this figure of his past and how do you think that informed his writing of this? And maybe do you think he really saw Susan, whoever Susan might be? I kind of understand what he was getting at. And I think it was like a catalyst for him, whether or not it was actually Susan, because sometimes you'll see people or you think you see them. And it's like for like maybe five seconds. And all of a sudden you're just like, all these memories come back and it keeps like worrying at you. And you get like all these revelations, even though that might just be like, not even that person someone with the same hair color but it just for that second you feel like it's them and I think that was kind of that instant with like with Brett in the novel or who knows like maybe in real life too but um and I think that just caused him because it's like he was driving by and he only saw her for like a few seconds so like you can't even really be sure if it was actually Susan but I think that was kind of like a catalyst and brought him to kind of write what he felt like he needed to write and have more clarity in his thoughts I think but yeah I, it yeah I didn't even really necessarily think if it was oh is this Susan or is this not Susan but it was more just that this was like a catalyst for him I think in many ways yeah I definitely agree with that I think that I heard somewhere like Brett Easton was like doing an interview and he was saying that he wrote the shards like starting now like when he was 50s um during the pandemic uh because he was like just going on Facebook or social medias and everything and uh looking you know through his old friends from high school and just going back to their pages and then that kind of sparked his idea like oh my god wait I had a manuscript about a book about this and that kind of like jived his memory to get back into the shards and get really into it Yeah, I wish I had the context of some of his other books, because when I was researching this book and people's theories for it, I, I guess there's more to Brett than I think I understand about how he's using his persona in his fiction to completely like mind fuck the reader, basically. Um, and I mean, by the end of the, so as I was reading this book, as it kept going along, I don't know if anyone else, if this resonates with anyone else, but I felt like I really trusted Brett's narration for some reason and the way that he was depicting events and like, while I knew it was a novelization, I think the idea of Brett in the present writing about his past 
lends itself at the start of the book to make you really think that he's telling the truth about this or really like trying to reflect for the reader what he's really what he experienced but in the second half of the novel he was probably like the most unreliable narrator that i've ever encountered and i started questioning like everything that i was reading and i was like wait what is really going on in this book because i I had a feeling that something was going to happen with Robert. I didn't really think that he was a trawler and how that was all playing out. But I guess I'm wondering for you all, how did, how did that experience, I don't know, come for you when you're reading this book? Like, did you always know that he was like sort of an unreliable narrator or I guess, yeah, what do you make of that? I think for me, I was always suspicious of Brett, the character on the basis of I think this is one of the first times I realized this was going to continuously be brought up that we were getting the POV from present Brett versus Brett in the past. And it was based on already knowing that Brett of the present, the writer, knows of his success of writing less than zero. So I've already assumed Brett, the character, is very egotistical, thinking that everything will be described from the rest of the book will be a matter of success that matters to him. Uh, whether or not that's, you know, some strange... Freudian stuff where he believes everyone he's possibly sexually attracted to is a murderer or someone he has to like eliminate and get rid of. Uh, you know, my brain had a field day with that as I was reading. So I really liked thinking of the hypotheticals of that kind of stuff. I do wish it was maybe a bit more teased or prevalent in me having those suspicions because I feel like Brett Easton Ellis as a writer, and this is coming from me not really reading thrillers and stuff, uh, much more of the, I know it was like name dropped earlier, the Ferrantes and that sense of autofiction. And I love the Neapolitan novels and all of Ferrante stuff, Jalen, as you know. Um, so yeah, I, it, there was a lot of fun ways in which I could kind of just really overall have fun with this book. I think that's what its goal was for me as a reader versus my believability of any of the characters, namely because of characters like Susan, where I just, uh, really, actually, maybe any of the woman characters, I just felt kind of weren't fully fleshed for me. I kind of always felt they were there. The whole secrets thing between Susan and Brett, I was like, how many more secrets do you guys need before you just stop being friends? Um, yeah, but there was also some funny stuff. Uh, this is really random, but I kind of thought it was funny, but I can't remember if it was brought up later ever again. It's whenever Brett is somewhere I can't recall, and there's like some homeless guy, I think in the bathroom, and whether or not that was his imagination or a real person, but I think it turned out it was real because they kind of escorted him away or something. I thought that was so weird. I think the only takeaway I got from that is that Brett is anti-homeless. Um, when I read this book, I kind of accidentally did a buddy read of this with Torin because I was just really bothering him and his DMs uh, talking about the book because I knew Torin already read it. So yeah, I know I just spewed a lot, but maybe that can be a jumping point for anybody. Well, do you want to talk about like the whole, like, did we believe he was saying truth to us was a fictionalized I kind of just like didn't have any of my my smart goggles on I was just like yeah sure you, you sold me and then like toward the end and kind of like that last showdown with Robert and then there's like there's a few things that are confirmed or the reader is led to believe wait a minute like the wolves would have been pulled over your eyes I was like oh shit like I totally fell for that so I think with distance I can now look back at the book and say like of course he was just, you know, pulling you along. But in the moment, I was just so wrapped up and like, you know, like everyone else racing through the pages just to get to that final destination, so. Yeah, I mean, I wanna speak to 
the length of the novel and like those very like as Alex mentioned the small descriptions that are included and just how many descriptions are included in this novel this is kind of a question for Torn because I know you've read this at least twice now um but I'm wondering for everyone's opinions about the length of the novel and whether you think it could have been cut down or do you think it was perfect could have been longer like for me I could have read like a thousand pages of this just because I was so entertaining but I can also see some critiques of it being potentially too long um so I'm curious to know what you all think about that yeah, I I used to read a lot of long books and then I kind of stopped, but now I'm kind of like back into my long book phase, which I'm excited about. And I, I've i read it twice. So like, I, I love the length. I think it's perfect. I think if it was longer, I wouldn't mind um, because currently like, I feel like I'm really drawn to like California and like Los Angeles novels. Um, I've read a bunch of Eve Babbitts and Joan Didion lately. And I just like can't get enough of like this time period. And just even if all these like horrible things are happening, it's still a place that I wish I could like go back to and just like be there. And so because I have such a desire for that, like I think this is a really good length. If it was longer, I would be happy. Um, something I did notice rereading some of the things that I marked and on my reread, he does kind of repeat a few things quite often. Um, so I think I'm gonna give myself a little bit of time before I reread this again, um, just so I won't pick up on how many times he'll be like, but we were 17 and then this would never, we would never be the same again. He says that like over and over and I didn't notice that until the second read. Um, so I there are little pieces I think could be cut, but I, I would I would live in this world for however long it existed. Yeah, I didn't mind the length either. I thought there was a lot of repetition, but I think that the repetition was on purpose. And sometimes you can read a book and it's repetitive and you're like, okay, I get it, let's move on. You need an editor. But I really think that it was purposeful. Um, like um, like you said, like um, you know, with my favorite phrase that he kind of used was I think it was the the lonely house on Mulholland Drive, he kept calling it, he kept referencing it as the same, as with the same adjectives and he was using them over and over. And I think it was really purposeful. Uh, I did also kind of changing subjects, um, Alex touched on the female characters. And I do have to say they were extremely fat, flat and vapid and they weren't great, um, but I don't, I don't mind. I mean, I can, I can take this book for what it is. Um, I don't expect, and maybe this is a good topic. I don't expect male authors to write female characters great. I mean, it's great when they do and they can and they have, but if they fall flat on that, I, I guess I don't, I'm not too critical or judgmental on that. I kind of wish that there had been a stronger female character in here. Susan was okay, but you didn't see her very much. Um, so I do think that the book failed in that sense, but, um, I don't know, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think going to the female character point of view, I think in some ways, I don't know if it was necessarily like super intentional in his thought, but also the thought of like Brett writing and especially him as a teen writing or like thinking those things and him trying to remember what he thought of those women as a teen. Cause most teenage boys don't, not to like, but in that setting, like and what he was with that group of friends 
I don't think they would have thought of them as that super complex. Like he had a girlfriend because he had to have a girlfriend because so that he could be seen as straight. And Susan, I think there was some depth to her, especially with the whole, like, I think she knew that Brett was gay. And I think there was kind of like a lot of like unsaid between them. And he always did kind of like, there was this coolness or like something that he couldn't, that he couldn't get at her or that like, he just didn't understand that was going on in her head all the time. But I do think, yeah, again, like I'm not, again, like I'm not looking at male authors to like describe the female experience. Like usually I will steer away from those books. Um, But yeah, I think it did what it needed in the book. And I think it made sense for Brett, the character to describe the woman in that way in the narrative, I think. Um, Yeah, and also I don't think it was, I liked the length of it. I liked the 600 pages. I thought like it is like objectively long, but I think it worked for the narrative just because there was so much going on with like his relationships, him looking back at stuff and trying to remember how it was. And also him pondering now as like a 50 something year old adult. I think, I think it was the perfect amount. I mean, there was some phrases I like, uh, I forgot who brought it up, but um, at the start where it's like, we were 17 and this would never be the same again. Or I thought I was like, okay, I roll. But like, I think as it got on, I, I kind of understood what he was trying to say. And I think that kind of just, but yeah, I do think it was a perfect, like, I don't think it should have been shorter. I think it was the length it should be at, but yeah, those are my thoughts. Something regarding like the female characters that I kind of liked that Debbie sort of evaded all the events of like the very last bit of the story because she was like cheating on Brett with some other guy. And I was like, okay, actually good for her because um, everything that Brett was doing to her and treating her just as like an object he could use. Um, but yeah, I liked that she kind of evaded all of the messiness at the very end yeah i was gonna say like justice for debbie because like why like wild so crazy brett like sleeping with her dad which is its own other thing but then also her her horse like it's just a lot there's a lot going on (laughs) a lot going on there but yeah no those those are all interesting insights i chalked it up to to like brett's you know longing for every man around him where he like necessarily limited his perspective of women in this in this in that time and also in the novel but i it's interesting to think about debbie's character i, I kind of didn't realize until after that debbie kind of fell away from the narrative by the end of it um but yeah that's interesting um i guess so i think a huge part of this book is robert mallory and his construction um and how he seems to be an ominous presence. There's his his history that seems to be questionable. Um, so I, I wanted to get your all's take on Robert and how Brett constructs him in this book and what you thought of him and what he's doing in the narrative. I'm still a little confused about Robert Mallory mm-hmm. um, because like, I guess when Brett first saw Rob, like in the movie theater, there's something that he mentioned, like in, in a phrase saying that, like, he related him to a god. And then, and we revealed that there's like the, you know, the followers of this cult are worshiping this god. And, you know, Robert seems to be behind a lot of the stuff that's going down. 
um, that makes Brett really paranoid and uh, further pushes him down the road of like spiraling. Um, so it always went back and forth for me. I'm like, is he or is just Rob caught up in this cult that's you know trying to attack him personally? Like, so I don't know. I think it was really interesting. It definitely kept me turning the pages, wanting to find out what was really going on. In the end, I don't know really, and I I'm okay with not knowing. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting. I want to know what you guys think because I I want some clarification. I always kind of had my doubts about Robert. Just even when he's entered into the story, when he first comes to school. And he has this past of mental illness and things happening to him. And the principal at Buckley tells Susan all of this stuff. And I'm just like, that doesn't seem real. Would a principal really like confide in one of his students? Like you need to want, you know, guide this kid through school because this is his history and he needs your help. I just, I don't know. I don't think it's a time period thing. I don't think that would have happened in the 80s, even, even though it was, you know, a while ago. It just seemed so far-fetched. And that in, in that introduction, I'm like, how much of this is real? Is his past real? Is he on this medication? Was he in an institution? I, I had my doubts from the beginning. So I always kind of held him at a distance as like, how much do we really know about this guy? Is he this strange character that Brett seems to think he is? Or is he just a normal transfer kid who, you know, needs some friends? Yeah, I think yeah. I was always, oh, sorry. Whoever's oh, going. Go ahead, Paige, go ahead. I was always quite unsure of Robert. Like, I definitely think there was something up and I thought it was always weird, especially how Brett talked about him being institutionalized. Cause I know um, I'm from Canada. Like I know it works different in the US and you usually spend like quite a, like it's normal to spend like a few months in there um but it's just he was so like adamant and so like like hard pressed about it and seems so bothered by it when it's if you just heard about that I would think they were just like having maybe it's just like a time period thing or just like Brett being like 17 in his bubble that he's in um I also think Robert especially because there were kind of like the rape allegations against him with like his stepsister and the whole family, which I like, there was like that whole encounter with, um, oh, it was Robert Mallory's aunt and him. And they're kind of talking about like the allegations against him and that he might've like killed his mother. We don't really know. And I don't know how much Brett like dramatized that, but I do definitely think there's something like off about him and that he's not maybe the most stable I also looked at the medication that he was on it was something that was like it's not like I don't think it's prescribed anymore it was like an antipsychotic like in the 80s that they sometimes used but I like and again with the whole like pool scene with him like being like having that panic attack when he was naked like I do think there is something up with him and there might have been some truth to the rape allegations however to like what Brett was putting on him I think was brett sometimes misconstruing and twisting things to be like oh this man is a serial killer you know um but i don't think robert is this like innocent oh i'm just trying to like find friends at a school like i'm just the nice new guy either so yeah it's definitely complicated 
Yeah, I'm interested, the more we're talking about the character, I really almost want to read the book again and focus on Robert a bit because as we're discussing all of this, I'm like, is, is everything we're getting about Robert just Brett projecting on him? Um, is that just something where he sees him as like a threat uh, to him as who, he, you know, everything like, or is he just seeing as like, I don't know, it's a very half-baked kind of like thinking of like, is Robert even a real, is he a part of his imagination? Like there's so many things that like don't fully work out, but there's enough there. And I think there's enough uncertainty where we're like clearly this group of people has like different takes on him. So definitely something to consider. I don't know what else I have to say about it, but it's just like very, very interesting. Even it's been like, yeah, about a month since I read this book and I'm like, I don't even know what to make of Robert. I feel like for Robert, and no one asked, but I think out of all of our male oppositions to Brett, I think Ryan's the hottest, um, or Robert. Uh, Ryan may be second place, but for Robert, I always assumed how we're introduced to him being this blank slate nobody. I always assumed Robert as the projection of maybe even being a mirror to Brett, the character. So that's how I always engaged with him the whole time, especially like Paige said. For me, my biggest gripe with the book was the chapter, or maybe it was like a couple of short chapters about being introduced to Robert's aunt, which I just felt was pure exposition dumb. Uh, further clarifying for me, also like what Ellie said, that it's fine for me with the woman characters if they're you know, they don't have to be fully as rounded or anything, but it did lead to my suspicions that they feel a little flat. But I think what really sparks my theory that maybe Robert was this like mirror to Brett and how Brett hates him is because ultimately Brett hates himself, which I'm sure isn't a thing that we all have to reach and find too much information about. But with the whole thing about sexuality too, that could be a whole reason. But I believe it's kind of this incident where it's Brett feels most confronted by Robert because Robert says something indicating violence against women I think something about Susan or Debbie I can't remember but and then Brett the whole time is like I have to stop him I have to save them uh, because he's going to do something violent to them and I think that also mirrors how Brett feels guilty about his ideas toward women about how he casts off Debbie uh, which also we all agree Debbie's a girl boss so good for her but uh, yeah, just this interesting portrayal of women in general for how Brett, I think, ultimately tries to feel like he's taking over the guilt he feels, uh, whether through trying to conquer Robert by uh, killing him or having sex with him. Uh, and then adjacent stuff, like in terms of like time and place, how Terry is maybe also a future version of Brett in which Brett does not want uh, which could lead to a bunch of different stuff about how Terry and Brett have that scene together uh, that I'm sure we could all talk about too. And how I always thought it was very interesting how Brett, after that moment with Terry says like, I'm okay, essentially that it's not a big deal when it really is, it's very predatory and wrong. But yeah, again, thinking of the eighties and what that means and, you know, yeah, a lot to think about, but uh, I really liked, I think our discussion about this most recently is my favorite thing about what we talked about so far. So if anyone else has any other thoughts. Um, one like quote that I saved, um, and I think like Robert is just mainly a gigantic threat to Brett um, because he had his whole like senior year planned out. He thought it was gonna be like perfect. And then there's this new person that's like obviously very hot and he's like, oh no, like 
either one, um, no one's going to like him, or two, he's going to like change everything. And this quote says, his looks would open every single door. They would also hide any flaws he might be harboring. His beauty would let him get away with anything. I just stared at him. And I'm like, okay. Like he, even if he, it takes him a while to like get over his attraction to him, I guess. And then he tries to um, paint Robert as this like massive villain because he is very threatened by this new presence. And I feel like that would happen at like small private schools, especially um, kids that have been together forever and all have their own little like relationships and secrets. And Brett definitely has a lot to hide already. Um, so it's interesting by trying to make someone else the villain, he looks more like the villain himself. Um, yeah, so that's just something I noticed. Well, Brett was like already going into senior year, like kind of like a nobody. Um, he only has his clout because he's best friends with Susan um, and friends with Tom. And so he's going into senior year. If he didn't have them, he would have been nobody. Um, so yeah, Robert definitely adds like, throws it off for him because now he could be easily replaced by him. And that definitely, you know, being gay, he probably has you know, self-hatred and loathing at that time anyway. So you add another person to that mix, that'll really, really mess with your mind. And uh, which is just another added thing that, you know, Brett so smoothly put in there. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, I think Chad mentioned this, but I, I agree with how it seemed like a lot of Brett's feelings about Robert and even the final scene where he may or may not have killed him. Um, it's hard to talk about this book, like, and what really happened, but, uh, and how he needed to sort of do that to kind of make, to finish the narrative, right, of what he wanted Robert to be. And thinking about, so I, before I get into the ending and the trawler aspect of all of this, um, a funny story. So my partner, Scott, he doesn't read. He's only read one book, or like the last book he read was in high school, it was Jurassic Park, and he does not read, right? So. I was reading this and I was like telling him about it while I was reading it. Like, this is so good. I think you would like this. Like, if you ever tried reading, I was like, it's 600 pages. Maybe you should give it a shot. He actually downloaded the audiobook and listened to the first, I think, two chapters. Um, he didn't finish, unfortunately, <laughs> but he was into it, which is interesting. So I feel like there's some hope for him to actually read. But he, when during the scene when Brett sees Robert, when he's watching The Shining, Scott asked me, he was like, is he ever going to see that hot guy again? And I was like, please keep reading. Like you don't even know what's going to happen. Um, and he didn't. So I need to spoil it for him eventually. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, going to, I guess the trawler aspects of this and like, I guess theories around the ending. I, I think Brett is intentionally, I think there's so many loose threads here that maybe this isn't even the point of the novel, but I think it's fun to really explore them is contrasting the trawler and this group that's like haunting them and this group like to me it seemed like there was brett projecting onto robert robert was not the trawler i saw some theories online people thinking that you could read this as brett being completely the trawler but i disagree with that for a couple of reasons um and like the shingy of it all the dog if anyone forgets um and matt kellner who was my favorite boy toy in the story <laughs> i yeah that was like First of all, the, the murder scenes all in this book, wild. The fish, you know, like all of that is just, 
I love the horror of it all. But anyway, so I wanted to ask about like the tape that was sent to Brett and like the the hidden weird things that are going on with this group that's may or may not be stalking them, the trawler never really being found out. Do you agree with me that the trawler is a separate entity? Do you think there's a reading of Brett being the trawler? Just want to kind of unpack that. Yeah, I, I almost think the trawler is like a red herring of sorts, just to like keep the reader on their toes, but it never really factors into the story. It doesn't permeate the circle of characters in a way that maybe you would think reading the, the jacket copy of the book. Um, yeah, I had a second thought, but I just lost my train of thought. But um, yeah, someone else can pick this up from here. <laughs> I agree with Chad. I, I, I don't think that they're connected. I do think that Brett, this is just my theory, I don't know, that Brett kind of planned this attack on Susan um, to frame, um, I'm blanking, what is this? <laughs> Robert. Um, I think he was trying to frame Robert so that people would think that Robert was the trawler. And then um, of course he got bit. And so that was kind of the telltale sign later on when it, when it comes up that his arm had been damaged. And I think it was just this crazy plan that he had come up with in order to you know, be the victor in all of this. And kind of on a side note, um, it's interesting how in the beginning of the book, you know, he's surrounded by these popular friends and he's popular. Robert comes in here and he, he makes it his goal to get rid of Robert. And in getting rid of Robert, at the end, he's completely alone. He has no friends, he has no social status. Everything that he did to get what he thought he wanted completely erased everything he had. So anyway, I wanna hear more of what you guys think the ending is about. Yeah, I agree with all of you in the trawler. I don't think like Robert's the trawler. I also don't think Brett is. For a while, I kind of like contemplated it, but the way he was talking about it and just, I don't think it added up at the same time. I think the main use of the trawler for me that I find interesting is the use of narrative. And also, I think he talks about this like in the book too, is how serial killers, a lot of the time they'll use this narrative and like have this like very meticulous like plan of how they're going to do things and they'll send like letters to policemen and they have like a very specific way of how they want the audience or the rest of the world to see them and I think that is kind of what Brett maybe got inspired by he wanted people to see him in a certain way he and like that kind of like meta use of fiction that he's using here and I think it's interesting because I feel like in some ways he's comparing himself to the trawler and kind of like maybe inspired by him in some ways of his use of narrative and I think it's really interesting that because I think in the 80s and 90s especially in California like serial killers were a rampant thing and I don't think it's just like oh random we're just gonna put this in here like I think he chose it for a specific reason because I think it's that use of narrative that also Brett really enjoys using that kind of like mind fuck that he really enjoys playing with the audience and also the people around him. So I just, I thought that was kind of his way of doing things. But no, I don't think Brett was the trawler. I, but I do think he did attack Susan, like um, Ellie was saying. And for that kind of like whole, like to frame Robert in some way. But yeah. I, I don't know why, but I, I don't think Robert was the trawler. I don't think Brett was the trawler. And I don't think that Brett attacked Susan and Tom. I, I don't know why I just I don't I it I don't feel it um, and 
even like years and years later, like when Susan like recognizes like the mark on his arm, you never know if it's like actually a bite mark or if it is damage from his fight with Robert. Um, but Susan like thinks that she sees it, but she's also like very like on medication because she just had like massive like reconstructive surgery. And even when Brett sees Tom like 40 years later, he's afraid to ask him. He's like, Susan called me, did you do it? And Brett says that he didn't. And I don't know why, I just, I feel like so many years later, he would have been thinking about that a lot. And I, he says that he didn't. And for some reason I believed him and I don't know why. And one thing too, though, um, when I was reading it the first time, I was reading it like so quickly because it's so fast paced at the end and you just, you have to know like what's about to happen. I didn't catch when Robert and Brett are fighting on the balcony that Robert is like dangling off of it. Um, I thought he was just going, that he fell on his own, which he kind of did, but also Brett is like smashing his hands on the rail saying like, Robert don't fall, but he's like banging on the back of his hands. So that's something I caught the second time. I was like, how did I miss that the first time? So that's interesting to me. Yeah, the whole, the mechanics of that fight scene really don't make, they don't quite add up. Like, how are you falling off a balcony onto another balcony? Like, wouldn't you just hit the the ground and then, yeah, it's kind of vague, but it, it's the kind of thing that I could see cinematically. So, done, you know, it could be done so well. Um, this whole story could be a really captivating adaptation if anyone wanted to do it. But I wonder if Brett is like, I'm sure he has thoughts about that because he seems very, you know, uh, what's the word? Like he's very selective over uh, adaptations and depictions of his art. I would have to imagine after American Psycho, the film and just his own persona as a writer, the bad boy, you know, vibe of him. But yeah, I wanted to chime in on that because this is a side note. But one thing that I've been talking about with some friends is like adaptations, like to me, the action of this book is so right for it. But I also think it's interesting to think about how pieces of metafiction and autofiction can be adapted faithfully and really represent the story in an accurate way. Um, That's just a side note. But aside from that, I wanted to ask about one thing and get your all's input on this, because I don't really know too much about it. But Torn and I were talking about how similar this book feels to The Secret History um, in certain ways by Donna Tartt. Um, And I'm wondering if anyone else is familiar with that book and picked up on any like similarities there. Um, and I guess tying it, this is, I guess my last point here since we're almost at time somehow, which I feel like we just started talking, but um, at the end, he's, you know, thinking about his like nostalgia for the past, which I think is also a very core theme of the secret history. Um, but he says, and sometimes when I wake up from one of my dreams about Robert or Matt or Ryan Vaughn or Tom or Susan, I'm reminded that the fall of 1981 wasn't the dream that I sometimes pretended it was in the decades that followed. But I always slipped whenever I heard those faraway voices calling out to me. And I would find that record with the platinum blonde girl on the cover and turn the volume up and play it loud, close my eyes and lie back and listen to a song about dreaming. And when I read that, it reminded me of the secret history and just kind of underpinning all of this is you know, like the questions about the truth of this, the trawler, Robert Mallory. Um, at the end of the day, to me, this book is really about 
memory and how that informs our present and how we can never really know the truth of that. But it's still so fundamentally necessary to understanding ourselves and our construction of ourselves later in life. And I think the scene with him and Tom really shows that and how Tom is still trying to figure out the answer of whether Brett was the one that did it. And we'll never know. So I guess to end there, just ask if anyone sees those similarities between those two books and any final thoughts about the ending. Yeah, I, I saw a lot and I won't like go into like all of the parallels, but on page 163, there's like a little quote that says like, is there an alternate history, a secret one? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> it's very on the nose. It has to be intentional, right? He knows. He knows what he's doing. For sure. I think. I mean, they went to college together. They have so many. Their their careers are so linked in so many ways. It feels like they they might. I'm sure there's something we just don't know that, that is part of the creation of the story. And yeah, maybe uh, more importantly, maybe Brett can tell us when Donald Tart's next book's gonna come out. <laughs> That's really what I want to know. <laughs> telling you right now that will be the book club pick and we will be reconvening to discuss it <laughs> whenever it happens but i'm also that'll curious to know next, yeah <laughs> that'll be like the next coup for you to get a guest on your pod jaylen like oh, that'll be the next white whale <laughs> series finale like 100 percent um <laughs> no i mean i'm wondering for brett too like what do you think he's gonna write next i don't really know Maybe Jason, since you've read a lot of his books, and or Torin, or I don't know if anyone else has read a lot of them, but like I'm less knowledgeable about his entire work, so I'm wondering what you think he can do next, or if he's spoken about it in interviews. I don't think he's talked about anything that he's. Oh, actually, yes, I think I did hear. Um, he kind of he did an interview with someone, um, but he got inspiration from Quentin Tarantino, I guess. He had just put out a book, I guess, within the near past um, about cinema and movies. And I guess what Brett wants to do is kind of like get into that lane for his next book, not make it like fiction or anything like that, but more so just a discussion, deep dive into like 1980s, like B movies and stuff like that. Um, that's all I heard from him on that regards, but I guess he's working on some movies and some TV shows, whether it's based on his own works, he didn't really give much information on that. My theory is his next book will be somehow even more gay. So that's my <laughs> Let's pray. suspicion. Let's pray. <laughs> we can hope for sure. I, I saw in an interview, he was saying that he like had nightmares about like waking up and like seeing articles or something like saying that the book was too gay. And I was like, no, it's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining me today. I guess I'll end it there. Um, I feel like there's so much to mine in this book and I feel like, I don't know, we discussed a lot. Um, so thank you all for joining and I hope you'll join me next month for Burnham Wood again, just as a reminder. Um, I know nothing about this book, to be honest. I've avoided like all spoilers, but I hear it's quite similarly plotty, but I've seen like only rave reviews for it. So I'm hoping it's hoping it's good and it's less or fewer pages. It's like 400 pages. I'm sorry, I'm like throwing the big books at you all, um, but I think it'll be fun. So thank you, Torn and Jason, for co-hosting. Thank you all for joining today. And this will be posted on my YouTube channel if anyone wants to revisit it. Um, so thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.